Welcome to the Same 24 Hours podcast. The podcast is currently on more or less hold to accommodate the recordings for the daily community meetup. During this crazy time, I'm having daily meetings online via Zoom where we can all join and see each other on video and there's special guests. And so I thought I would post the replays here on the podcast so those who can't listen live can listen later. So here we go, continuing on with the daily community meetups. If you'd like to join, all you have to do is go to swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, M-E-E-T, swimbikemom.com forward slash meet, and you can join us any day of the week, 12 noon Eastern during the week, and weekends I'm doing 8 p.m. Eastern on Saturday and Sunday. So I hope you all enjoy this episode of the Daily Community Meeting. Hi, and welcome to the Same 24 Hours Podcast. I'm Meredith Atwood, author of the book, The Year of No Nonsense. I'm a former attorney turned writer, speaker, and Ironman triathlete. Although right now, all I really like to do is lift weights. We all have the same 24 hours, but it's what we do in those hours that leads to our greatest health, happiness, and success. It's my goal to crack the code on a life of less nonsense so we can all make the most of our 24 hours. So let's get started. All right, everybody, this meeting is being recorded. Thank you for joining. Thank you for joining and for everyone who's listening on the replay. Thanks for downloading and listening and watching on YouTube, because that is the newest, (laughs) that is the newest thing. So um, I thought we could start today by talking about the myth of happiness, (laughs) because I feel like on week whatever of quarantine that we're in, um, a lot of people are not happy, and with good reason, right? There's a lot, I think they just reported the new unemployment numbers, there's a lot of stress, just a lot just a lot. And so the idea of happiness is closely tied to um, a lot of suffering, a lot of suffering, because we, we feel that we need to have this happiness, we need to have this. And then when life doesn't turn out as we expect, it's like a smash in the face. And so um, I was looking for something to read to you guys today. And I thought, um, <laughs> I wrote something about this and I don't normally read from my own book, but um, I'm thinking about doing book club tomorrow. And so I was skimming something, but I was thinking about happiness and I, and I wrote something about it. So I'm going to read that here and then we'll just do a quick grounding meditation and then, then meet Celeste. So, okay. This is from, let's see, part three, going after the life you want. Happiness, the pursuit of. Ask yourself, what makes me happy? Is this a difficult question to answer? I force myself to answer this question often. When I think of the things that make me truly happy, I have a very short list. Because to me, happiness means bliss. How much of our lives and day do we spend in actual bliss? How much of our lives and day do we spend in happiness? What gives me these blissful moments? Maybe the turn of magical fall weather, when both of my kids are bathed, smelling like desserts and snuggling quietly (laughs) while reading books, a personal record on the race course or in the weight room. Those events evoke happiness in me, but they have one thing in common. These moments are also rare. That's because bliss, what we really mean with the happiness idea is also rare. Contentment, peace, and calm. That is another story. And that's what we're truly seeking. Those can be daily. Those can even be most of the time if we are truly living. 
the next question is when am I content and when do I feel peaceful? And then my list can expand. Sitting with a fresh cup of coffee, cracking open my laptop to work is contentment, peaceful. Working toward the next big idea, closing my eyes at night and knowing that I truly gave the day everything I could, laughing with the kids, sharing a joke, talking about the glory days of weightlifting with former teammates, saving five bucks at the store. Contentment is a huge playing field. Contentment is reachable with a change in attitude, a focus on gratitude, a change in our state of mind. We can thrive while we are pursuing that rare, magical happiness, bliss by enjoying the proximity of contentment. We can be content and work hard pursuing that bliss. We need not be complacent to be content. One of the lies that we have been told is that we deserve to be happy all the time and contentment is mediocre. While we are all worthy of love and puppies and rainbows, who actually gets that all of the time? The answer is no one. But contentment and peace, we can have that. We can have it starting right now. So contentment and peace, <laughs> hashtag goals <laughs> for the day. <laughs> Um, so let's just close our eyes if you feel comfortable and I don't think anyone's driving today. So if you feel comfortable, just close your eyes and let's think about contentment. Contentment, which is not complacency, just contentment. So take a deep breath and let it out. And if you haven't stopped moving today, just think about how nice it is to be sitting still just for a minute. Just breathe at your own pace, whatever feels good. And as we go forward today, you can always come back to this moment where you thought about contentment and take another deep breath and ground yourself. And with your eyes closed, I want to read one more thing. This is from Glennon Doyle's recent book, Untamed. Our deep desires are wise, true, beautiful, and things we can grant ourselves without abandoning our knowing. Following our deep desire always returns us to integrity. If your desire feels wrong to you, go deeper. You can trust yourself. You just have to get low enough. The blueprints of heaven are etched in the deep desires of women. What women want is good. What women want is beautiful. And what women want is dangerous, but not to women, not to the common good. What women want is a threat to the injustice of the status quo. If women trusted and claimed their desires, the world as we know it would, be, would crumble. Perhaps that is precisely what we need to happen so we can rebuild truer, more beautiful lives, relationships, families, and nations in their place. Maybe Eve was never meant to be our warning. Maybe she was meant to be our model. Own your wanting, eat the apple, and let it burn. So take another deep breath. Let it out. All right, you can open your eyes if you want. All right. I feel better. I can't believe, I, I don't even know if you guys like doing that, but I do. <laughs> it makes me breathe for a minute. So um, I'm very excited about our special guest today. Celeste Yvonne is here. Welcome, Celeste. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So why don't we start with just telling us your story and, and you have as much time as you want to do that. If you have the five minute version, that's fine. If you want to talk and we'll just see where it leads because you, you've got such a great story. Oh, thank you. Yeah, so I am a, um, a mom of two kids, uh, two boys, four and six. I live in Reno, Nevada. Uh, I am married. Um, I grew up in the Bay Area, and I actually I went to school in Boston. Um, so I was in Boston for about six years. Oh, um, I'm at. Well, I, sort of. <laughs> yeah. We're in the, um, the burbs. I'm as close as we can live and afford. <laughs> <laughs> I um, started writing. So I write for work. I do marketing um, for, for work. But I started writing personally um, when I was pregnant with my second child. Um, I had just experienced a miscarriage. And I wanted to write about all these feelings I was having and these worries and fears. But there is this societal expectation that you don't talk about the pregnancy until 12 weeks in. And up until then, I was like, well, I, I have so much I want to talk about. So I just started writing about it for, um, I just created a blog. It was anonymous. And um, I kind of just, I realized that this is something I love doing um, from there. And the blog started to build um, I started to write for other publications, and um, now um, I feel like it's it's a, a strong, supportive community, um, mostly women, but um, men too, and mostly parents. But um, about a year and a half ago, I went public with the fact that I have been sober for a year. Um, I had not told anybody about that up until then, not publicly. And um, as soon as I started to write about it, I got so much feedback. It was overwhelming, but really exciting. Um, I thought this would be like a one-time post, like, hey, guess what? <laughs> I quit drinking a year ago, and I feel great, and I will never drink again. Like, that's kind of what the post came out to be. And um, so many people came back to me saying, tell me more. How did it start? Tell me what's your story. Um, I want to hear more. So all of a sudden my, um, my blog has become almost in part a sober living and sober parenting blog. Um, and I write a lot about it. Um, and it's, it's been really cool. Um, that's, I've, I've been sober now for two and a half years. Um, I quit drinking December of 2017 I, um, I drank too much. Like, I don't think I ever felt like in my own right, I hit a rock bottom, but, um, I was drinking up, up to a bottle of wine a night, um, to get through parenting, um, and to just something that was my way of treating myself, but also self-medicating from the stress and the anxiety I was facing as a new mom. And, um, as I got older, <laughs> it started to affect me more in the morning. And I would wake up with these horrendous hangovers to the point where I felt like I couldn't parent effectively. Um, I was turning more and more to the television to parent my kids. And <laughs> the guilt I felt um, 
of doing this and worrying that my kids were still young enough, but as they got older, they were going to start to question this, or they're going to think this is normal and this is not the life I want them to live. So I need, if I'm going to make this change, it needs to be now. And, um, I came out to my mom and I said, you know, I think I have a drinking problem. And, um, she, she kind of held my hand and held me accountable from that day forward. Like, we're going to get through this. Um, it'll be judgment free, but I'm not going to let you off the hook. And, um, I stopped drinking, um, after that. And it wasn't until about a year in where I was like, you know what, my life is so much better and more fulfilling. Like I know that I will never go back. And that's why I decided to go public with it because it became such an important piece of living a healthier, happier life that I never want to go back. And that's hard for people to hear. Like even my husband who still drinks um, occasionally, um, he still doesn't get it. You know, it's like, well, you know, I think you, you've made a point that it's no longer a problem if you thought it was a problem because it's been two and a half years. So um, you could go back eventually if you wanted to and just learn how to moderate it. And, and I try to explain, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> and yeah, I, the people that don't have an issue with it don't have an issue with it. And so they, yeah, they say they don't things get it. like that. They, they say, oh, well, never, like never. And I'm like, because I'm the same. I'm for 4.25 years sober. And yeah. I also stopped in December, which is interesting. You said December, because that's such a crazy time to, to do that. <laughs> but I always thought that if I can quit drinking over the holidays, I can oh, yeah. stay sober. And so that's why I did. And um, so, yeah, like people that don't struggle with it um, don't understand. They, they don't understand. And um, you, you kind of have to come to that point when you know it's a problem, it's just a problem and you got to be firm and what you are and are not going to do. And so, yeah, I've got a husband like that too. He, he doesn't drink much anymore. Actually, I don't think yeah. he's drinking months and months, but he's not willing to be like, yeah, I'll, I'm not going to agree to never drink. <laughs> right. And I think for my husband, like he can have a beer and he's, he's like, I'm good. I'm good. And I could have a beer and leave it at one. I just never wanted to. Like that it doesn't even sound fun to me. Right. What's the point? It doesn't take What's the point good. of that? So <laughs> then if that is the situation, then I'm better off with nothing. Because honestly, one glass of wine or one beer was just a tease. Um, so if somebody, and I always tell people, I'm like, if you handed me a glass of wine right now and said, you can drink this and nobody will know, and you can still keep your sober date. I'd be like, I don't want, I never just wanted one glass. So why would I do that? No, thanks. <laughs> right. Right. One glass like is a joke. I mean, I would prefer to have none just like that. Yeah. And it's, but I mean, I feel better. I don't have hangovers anymore. I mean, the hangovers just got brutal. I mean, I think when you're in your twenties, the effects are just so minimal that you don't even notice um, for the most part, unless it's a really bad one. And then, I mean, even just after three glasses of wine, like my head would just be pounding 
And I'm like, I can't function. Like I cannot function. And I can certainly can't deal with screaming kids. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. So let's I talk had about a, screaming kids. Let's yeah. talk about screaming kids. So how you said your how old are your kids now? So they're four and six. Oh, okay. Uh, two boys and my older one, um, he's got behavioral challenges. We're trying to figure out if we're diagnosing him ADHD. We've seen like four doctors now, but it's it's challenging. He um, he struggles in school. He was kicked out of his first kindergarten. He's now at the public kindergarten um, and we're trying to um, figure out next steps because um, nobody knows how to handle him. Like even the principal's like, I don't know what to do. Looking at me like I do. Right. <laughs> this is my right. first time. This too, buddy. Right. So um, they, yeah, they're high, um, high energy kids. Um, and um, parenting in general is stressful enough. Um, and for me, I, I feel like, but, I mean, there's a reason why I turned to alcohol. Like I wanted to self-medicate. I wanted an off switch right. um, because this is exhausting. Like even my firstborn was colicky for a good, well, the first six weeks for sure. but about two months, he started to settle down. Like he has been high maintenance since day one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My son was that way too. And what I've learned, my kids are 11 and 12 now, um, that I was, and they're 14 months apart, <laughs> which was oh, well. brilliant. Um, yeah. but with my son, um, I, as a mother who's working full time and drinking full time. <laughs> um, I did a really poor, and he was, a, he was a very difficult baby. I did a poor job regulating my own nervous system. And mm -hmm. so I did a really poor job co-regulating his. So I have noticed that, um, and, and that may be something that might be going on with your son. Like just if, because if we as moms didn't do a good job and not to say we didn't do a good job, but just like we didn't co-regulate really well because we were flipping out because it was so hard. Yeah. Um, then they become like, they pick up on that because my son got diagnosed with oppositional defiance disorder at age three. And I refused to accept that. <laughs> and so um, kind of proceeded with trying to figure out how to, to sort of get his nervous system re-regulated and stuff. But it's, it's so hard because yeah. we're suffering as moms like what? I did not sign up for this, but yet I did. Oh my God. And, and then they pick up on that subconsciously. I, I took my son to a therapist when he was three and she, the therapist right out said, well, what's going on is um, he has a depressed mother. And I was like, I am not, <laughs> I am not. How dare you? <laughs> How dare you point to me for this screaming child? Um, and then of course, like now, you know, eight years later, um, I'm not, I don't blame myself for it, but it's like, it's just like a package that I kind of, it's like attached to the parenting package. Like, oh, it was an add on that I kind of didn't do a great job with my own self. So I wasn't doing a good job regulating his. And it's hard to, to look at that, like as one of the byproducts of drinking, it's like, oh, and, and regret and, and all of that, but you know, all we can do is move forward and and, and do the best we can. And kids are just a challenge. Can. Four and six is hard. That yeah. is hard. I remember my kids that young. That's just like the age they can't say what they want. And ugh. they yeah. <laughs> and 
we're in quarantine together, you know, and they are just constantly fighting. Um, it's just, it's endless. Um, and the weather's been really bad lately. So um, we've been stuck inside for a lot of it. Um, as soon as the spring weather comes out, you know, I'm just knocking them outside and saying, you know, go to town. But being home through all of it is, it just adds a whole nother layer. Um, yeah. But at the same time, um, it has been less anxiety for me with my older son not being in school because we right. are dealing with the school situations. Um, I was joking on Twitter the other day, like, I have not had a single call from the principal in three weeks, guys. Like, this is <laughs> a, great, a great day, a milestone here. Yeah. Um, so, you know, there's good and bad with it. but. Right. Um, it's, well, Gretchen has a question. Does it bother oh, yeah. you when your spouse drinks? Mine stopped drinking seven years ago. I'm a one beer gal once or twice a week. He says the same. What is the point? I told him it's just like a Coke to me. No biggie. So does it bother yeah, you when your husband drinks? Well, it's different for everybody. It does not bother me because he can stop. I think it was, it would get on my nerves if he was drinking three beers a night. Um, but I almost watch him in wonder when he has his beer because sometimes he'll drink half of it and he'll forget. He'll forget. Right. Those people. <laughs> I, I watch him like I'm in a zoo, like watching the animals because it's fascinating to me. Um, so no, it doesn't bother me. Um, it also doesn't bother me having alcohol in the house, which I know everybody's so different with this. And I think everybody just needs, and also I've heard that over time, um, people change um, with what bothers them and what doesn't too. So I think it just depends. I, you know, the other thing is um, my drink of choice was red wine. So if he was opening a bottle of red wine and I was smelling it, that might be more triggering for me. But um, yeah, you just, you just kind of roll with it and see what works and what doesn't. And I mean, everybody's just so different with what um, they can tolerate and can't tolerate. Um, but yeah, it's, it's a great question that I think most people, if they do decide to quit, um, need to figure out for themselves. Will they want alcohol in the house? Will they allow that? Um, parties at their house? Like for the first year, like I was really uncomfortable with having alcohol at parties at my house because I was like, well, that's not fair. <laughs> and it's my party. You know, I can, I can decide. But um, for family members, they, that upset them and that frustrated them because um, it was my problem, not theirs. Um, so, you know, you just, you go with the flow and over time, what you need and don't need in your recovery and your sober journey is going to be different. So it, every, nothing's permanent. And I would say to somebody who wanted their spouse to not drink around them or have alcohol in the house, to tell their spouse that this might not, I mean, this, this might change over time. Like, I'm not saying never again. I'm saying right now, this is what I need from you. Yeah, that's a good, good point. Well, if anyone has any questions or comments, you know, keep, you can chat or you can come on video too. Um, so what have you found has been the most rewarding part of being sober? Um, I think, Life in general is more fulfilling overall because I am feeling all the emotions again. Um, I can be more in the moment with my kids. 
I'm not constantly looking towards the future, um, towards when five o'clock's gonna roll around. Um, I, I think in general, the reward is getting to feel my feelings the way that they were supposed to be felt. Um, I can also trust my own body again. Um, I remember somebody saying, this was a while ago, they were saying, I, I could tell I was getting sick because something didn't feel right in my body. And as long as I was drinking at the rate I was, I could never tell if I was getting sick or if, or if I was just hungover. Like I, and I did not trust my own body. I did not trust myself. Um, so anything that was happening in my body, I either was numbing it or I wasn't taking it seriously because I just didn't know what the, uh, the primal cause of it was. Um, so being able to feel things inside and know like this is, this is genuinely coming from my own body trying to communicate with me. And this isn't from the bottle of wine from last night. Um, has made a huge difference in my life, in my own self-confidence and in my own sense of um, in fulfillment, just being more, um, you talked about in your, um, in your, uh, in the beginning of this call about contentment and happiness. And I generally feel more content every day and during the day right now um, because I know alcohol is no longer part of my, my daily lifestyle. So I can feel contentment again. And that's a wonderful feeling. And where do you fall on the alcoholic spectrum? Like, what are your thoughts on, do you believe that it's some, you know, a disease? Do you believe that you're, it's a coping mechanism you picked up along the way? Um, you know, I think it's interesting because I run a sobriety group on Facebook and a lot of people are strict AAers and mm. um, a lot of people are like, no thanks. And I just happen to be one who I don't have a real opinion about um, what works for everyone, you know, do what works for you. But I don't personally like to be called an alcoholic. <laughs> like, I don't like people to call me, like if they write an article about me to be like, former mom and alcoholic, I'm like, ah, take it out. I don't like that word. Um, so I just, just out of curiosity, I mean, there's no right or wrong answer, but I just like to know what people, where they kind of fall on that. Um, I really struggle with the word alcoholic because I think it really limits people from quitting drinking. Yeah. And if they think they might have a problem with alcohol, they might not necessarily quit because they don't define themselves as an alcoholic. And that was my case for a long time. My father was, and he would describe himself as an alcoholic. I mean, he was very much um, like he started drinking in first thing in the morning and he did not stop. Um, that is what I grew up thinking, that's what an alcoholic looks like. So I had all these little rules about, well, if you don't drink before five and if you don't drink and drive, um, then you will not become an alcoholic. But at the end of the day, what I realized is if you um, have a toxic relationship with alcohol and alcohol is not serving you, then it really doesn't matter what you want to call yourself. Um, so when I tell people like I could drink a bottle of wine a night, um, a lot of people say, well, that sounds like you sound like an alcoholic. And I'm like, if you want to call me an alcoholic, I have no problem with that. 
but I don't think I would go out of my way to say, yeah, I'm Celeste and I'm an alcoholic. Um, because that doesn't, at this point in my life, that doesn't serve a purpose for me. And that's not a helpful label for me. Um, one of the things that, I mean, the book, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, like changed, restructured everything I understood about alcohol because she was the first person that I had read who said, you know, it's not so much about the person, it's about the drink. And alcohol is an addictive substance. Some of us are going to become addicted to it quicker than others, but it, this stop looking at this as a genetic flaw and start looking at um, the drink at hand. And um, the way that, um, I mean, the science behind it shows that this is addictive, just like some drugs are very addictive. This is one of the most addictive drugs on earth. And we have to stop blaming the person and be looking more um, at what this actual substance is. And that really was an aha moment for me because instead of saying, well, am I an alcoholic or am I not? Did I, did I get this genetic gene from my dad or did I not? Um, I was like, alcohol is just addictive in general. Why would I play with fire? Especially if it's not making me feel good. And that really helped me turn the um, narrative around in my own head and say, it doesn't matter whether or not I'm an alcoholic. Right. Right. Yeah. That's super helpful. Annie Grace is awesome. Um, yeah. yeah. And, and the way I, I talk to people about it, I'm like, look, if you know you need to quit and it's not serving you, then pick whatever label you want. I yeah, call myself exactly. a non-drinker now. Like, okay. I'm an English major with a law degree and I just call myself a non-drinker. Like that's the best <laughs> descriptive yeah. word I can come with. A drinker? I am not. Um, but yeah, I just, I, and also I feel like when you, when you, choose certain words, you're, you're making it a choice. You know, like you said, um, if we're going to think of this as a disease that you can't like escape versus no, it's a choice. I choose to not take this highly addictive substance into my body anymore. And I agree with you. Like the first time I had a drink, I was 17 and everything in my entire body lit up. Like yeah. I just, I, I remember I was in South Africa, I was sitting on the floor in this hotel room with a bunch of people we were drinking margaritas and I'll never forget like just how everything just exploded. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, I will need this in my life every day. This yeah, is, this like, is cool. So better. <laughs> and I mean, still to this day, I, I think, I, I think it's unfortunate. I am not one of the people who can enjoy alcohol, but um, a couple of things that I've learned over the years is, is I can't. And also um, I just don't make eye contact with it. I don't look at it. <laughs> I don't romanticize it. And it's, you know, yeah. it's better that way. Um, there's nothing good for it for, for me and, and booze. I proved that for 20 years. So how long, like, when did you first start drinking like, a bottle a day? Um, I was probably a two bottle a day, but I was, I'm a lot, I think bigger than you had <laughs> a great tolerance. Um, but like I started doing that to excess pretty much from college on. So when did you start actually drinking heavily? Um, I mean, I could drink heavily and I, I, I binged in college. Um, it, you know, it's hard for me to know when 
I started, you know, I feel like I was following kind of a pattern of the majority of people for a long time until I wasn't. Um, in my 20s, um, I would binge drink, um, but it was occasional. It wasn't a daily thing. Um, it, I feel like it, I did not reach a point where I was drinking daily until I was in my um, early 30s. Um, and that's and that's when um, I started to also notice, you know, this the hangover, and and then trying to start the parenting journey on top of it. It was just um, it was way too much. But um, I st my first the first time I drank was in Sweden. Um, I was doing an exchange, um, a Swedish exchange with. Um, I was staying for a month in Sweden and then the girl would come and stay with me for a month in the US. And we went to a party in Sweden and yeah, it was the exact same way that you describe. I had my first drink and I was like, oh my God, like my confidence, this is what it feels like to have confidence, you know, and you're 16 and you're um, scared and confused and there's so much about the world that you still don't understand. And all of a sudden I felt like a badass, you know, like, all right. Like I, now I feel beautiful. Now I feel funny. Now I'm smart. I, I can do anything right now. And I just got, I mean, like I had no concept of even what this was doing to my body. And I got stupid drunk throwing up in this, at this person's house. And my uh, Swedish interchange student had to call her parents to drive me, drive us both home. I mean, it was, it was so embarrassing. And then I probably didn't have another drink again until college. So that was the first time, you know, it felt amazing at the time. It felt horrible the next day. And then um, I stopped drinking for probably two years. Um, for you know a couple reasons, but mostly because um, I had such a bad um, experience in the long run um, after a really embarrassing night. Um, but then college, I started back up again, um, just as everybody else was doing. And nobody drinks moderately in college. I mean, maybe they do. I I did not meet those people, but um, you know the the frat parties and whatnot was about drinking to excess. Um, so we did a lot of that. And then um, I met somebody in my 20s um, who was a very heavy drinker. And I feel like that really altered my landscape moving um, for, that was at age 23 or 24. And I wound up getting married to him. And I, I remember telling him like in the early days, I'm like, if I knew you drank this much, I don't think I would have started dating you. Um, but he kind of reset this tone in me of what a lot to drink is and what it means to drink. He was the first person that ever told me, have you ever tried drinking alone? It's amazing, you know? And I think who we spend our time with has a significant effect over our drinking habits too. Um, so, um, we got divorced when I was 30 years old. Um, and after that, I do feel like some really unhealthy uh, habits and patterns of my drinking took shape um, thereafter. Yeah, 
Well, Gretchen has a question and I, and I want to understand this term because I actually wrote a blog post about it because someone said that they got tired of Meredith Atwood's dry drunk routine. And I was like, what is a dry drunk routine? And so you mentioned, um, have you heard the phrase dry drunk? So I want to, I still am not sure I, and Gretchen, I just unmuted you. I'm still not sure I understand what dry drunk means. Does it mean just someone who's still messed up, but just doesn't drink? Yes, exactly. Um, the anger still is lurking underneath the surface, the fear, the anxiety, but you just, you know, choose to not look at it, but you're yeah. still the same asshole. <laughs> right. Okay. So I'm still the same asshole as I was. That's funny. Um, I probably am because. No, I'm okay, not saying you are, but I'm just saying that's <laughs> about your husband, um, Celeste. That was kind of me and my husband's relationship. It was, we were always drinking, but I just never was a big drinker. He was. And he would say ugly things and in the morning, not remember. And yeah, he just decided one day, I'm done. I'm not drinking. But yet I see some of the anger still lurking under the surface. So I don't think he's really worked through, like you have, why and trying to be a better person. He's on yeah. that path now, but yeah. And what's he doing to get on that path right now? Well, our kids have really called him out. I didn't have to say a word. And so he's working with a counselor, a, a oh, male, to male peer to peer kind of thing, but he didn't go join AA. He will not call himself an alcoholic. He's like, no, I just decided what's the point. I'm not doing it anymore. I'm, I don't like the person that I am when I drink. So yeah. I said, great, don't do it anymore. Well, I, I know in my case, like, um, I'll, I'll just comment here and, and Celeste, you want to add to it, but I know with me, like I, I hit the wall with drinking and I thought if I quit drinking, that will fix my problems. <laughs> and so I quit drinking and two years later, my problems found me, you know, I uncovered the trauma but what i uncovered was the root the thing that why i started drinking in the first place like why yeah yeah and so how long has he been sober uh officially seven years but he started oh. trying to do it three years before that so almost 10. yeah yeah i mean maybe he maybe he hasn't come to the reason he started in the first place you know and and he's also a a male and without stereotyping you know typically as a species are less um, feeling their feelings, but, um, you know, maybe he knows and, um, or maybe I think it was those first, uh, those first three years where he was trying off and on, but the ugly behaviors were still there. And then there was a point where he just snapped. I, I don't want to go into it, but it was a really rock bottom moment. And yeah. that was enough. He's like, okay, I am done. I've got to figure out why I'm doing this. So I was really proud of him. Yeah. And but I don't you say he's home. still struggling with it. No, not anymore. That's what I'm saying. Oh. He's been really good for seven years, oh. but the first oh, okay. three, so it. it's kind of a 10 year window. The first three he struggled and then the seven he's I been see. good, I but I don't drink in front of him just out of respect. And he's like, no, it's fine. In fact, the other day he went and bought some blueberry beer from one of a, one of these local breweries and he brought it home. And I was like, what are you doing? Bringing this in the house? He goes, no, it's fine. Like, that's okay. So I'm, I'm not going to do that in front of him. I don't mind when people drink in front of me. I actually prefer it. I, I um, like if I go out to dinner with someone who I know drinks and they don't drink because I'm there, I feel stupid. 
So yeah. I, I, I hate that. I'm like, please, if you drink, just drink. Like you make me feel like I'm a party pooper. Yeah. <laughs> Draw so unnecessary attention. You're like, no, that's not I'm good. Like, Let's just point out the, the addict at the table. She's over there. Don't show her anything that she might <laughs> uh, snatch out of your hand. Um, so Celeste, were you going to say something? I'm sorry. I think I just ran over you. Oh, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I've heard the term dry drunk before. Um, people have called me a dry drunk before because I don't go to AA. Um, so I get frustrated with that term because, um, I think there's different definitions of what that means. And I don't know why by not going to AA, um, I can't, um, try to find the root of some of the problems, um, in my own way, which I do, you know, through. You had uh, your AA with your mom. What's that? You, you had your AA with your mom. Oh, well, Basically. I, I do therapy and um, I see a psychiatrist. So I do a lot of things to work on um, myself and some of my deeper issues. Um, but it does not involve going to AA meetings, um, which some people um, really struggle with. Like, well, how can you quit drinking and not be going to AA? That's never going to work. And um, I have to manage that because um, I feel like it's always something that comes up in comments um, from people. So it's, um, you know, everyone's just finding their own path. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's interesting. I, I, have, I hadn't made the connection that people tie that to AA, but that makes sense because that they're saying you didn't do the work, you didn't do the stuff, she just quit. Huh. Right. Hmm. Learn something every day. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Um, anyone else have any questions? Cool. So Celeste, um, what are you working on right now? Are you doing any, you got any projects? Are you writing a book? What are you doing? Oh yeah. There's a lot going on. Um, well, I was in, um, was interviewed for InStyle Magazine that came out yesterday. That was a really cool um, article. It was about um, the benefits of being sober during quarantine. So um, I highly encourage you to look at that piece because um, I just love the angle they took. Um, we've seen so many stories about how hard it must be to be sober during quarantine, but this one took a different spin. And um, I think the reporter just did a really good job with that. Um, I, I do, um, I have an agent and we are pitching books to publishers right now. Um, <laughs> just talking to them yesterday and they're like, yeah, basically all publishers have shut down, you know, ordering, um, or, you know, looking into new books, but we're hoping in about a month that'll change. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, that's probably a bad time to try and pitch. <laughs> Yeah. pitch anything I would imagine or I mean you just showed or you um talked about Glennon Doyle's book I mean imagine having a book come out during this oh I know I was lucky mine hit December 17th um okay. but I have a very good friend who she her, her children's book came out Tuesday and I'm like man yeah. this is such a rough time but Glennon's fine <laughs> she's gonna do fine I mean no, I'm not worried about Glennon all right <laughs> in fact, one. I think in some ways this works to her advantage. Like yes, I was her sure. book and I never would have had a chance to read it right. if I was trapped at home, you know? So in some ways I think that's really great. But um And that was my theory too, except like for me, my book, because it's 
operated by a traditional publisher, which is not working right now. And the distribution centers are not working. They're delaying shipments. And so I'm like, oh, everyone go buy my book. And they're like, yeah, it'll be here in May. And I'm like, (laughs) oh my God. You know, and I'm like, I have boxes. Call me. I'll send you my book. Yeah. Um, It's just crazy. Everything is on its head, but I am grateful that I'm, you know, I wasn't trying to do my book, book release right now. It is tough. During all this. Yeah. So that's, um, that's what I've got going on. I also, um, I'm still doing marketing and whatnot. I've got three job interviews today and two tomorrow. Um, so I'm busy. Yeah. <laughs> the queen yeah. has not slowed me down. Yeah. Well, I appreciate your time. This was great. If anyone has any other questions, let me know. Otherwise I think we'll say goodbye and let you get back to pitching books and finding jobs and <laughs> doing all the things. Tanya said dry drunk is an AA term. I, th- I think, yeah, I think that did. I, it came from AA. I think that's why um, I get called it by um, AA members um, because I'm not in AA. <laughs> so anyway, that, thank you, Tanya, for um, yeah. giving us some insight on that. Awesome. Well, Celeste, thank you very much for this. Where can people find you? On, on my handle internet? is the, yeah, my handle is the ultimate mom challenge. Uh, you can find me uh, on that handle for Facebook or Instagram. And that's my website too, the ultimate mom challenge. Awesome. Well, thank you, friend. This was great and stay safe. And I look forward to reading your book in approximately one and a half years. <laughs> yes. Fingers crossed. That's right. All right. Well, take care, everyone. Bye. Thank you. Thank you for joining me on this episode of The Same 24 Hours. Remember to rate, review, and share this podcast. It really matters. I appreciate it. See you next time.